Now another text about this God who searches us and knows us. As you listen to today's Old Testament text, I invite you to listen for all the details regarding manifestations of power. See what kinds of power you can notice. Worldly power, godly power, financial power, political power, military power, healing power. Notice how relationships are defined by power between nations, between stations. Notice all the trappings of power, and then we'll ponder how we navigate all of that in faith. This is 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning with the first verse. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Arameans, on one of their raids, had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. The girl said to her mistress, if only my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, in Israel, he would cure him of the leprosy. So Naaman went and told his master just what the girl from the land of Israel had said, and the king of Aram said, go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. Naaman went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of garments. To the king of Israel he brought the letter which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant, Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life that this man sends word to me to cure someone of leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, Elisha sent a message to the king, Why have you torn your clothes? Let this commander come to me that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent out a messenger to Naaman saying, Go, wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought that for me the prophet would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not the rivers of Damascus, the Farpar and Abana, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in rage. But Naaman's servants approached him and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when, when all he said to you was wash and be clean? So Naaman went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a young child, and he was clean. The reading usually stops there, but the next four and a half verses are what really intrigue me. Then Naaman returned to the man of God, he and all his company. He came and stood before Elisha and said, 
Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Please accept a present from your servant. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will accept nothing. Naaman urged him to accept, but Elisha refused. And then Naaman said, if not, please let two mule loads of earth be given to your servant, for your servant will no longer offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god except to the Lord. But may the Lord pardon your servant on one count. When my master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow down in the house of Rimmon. When I do bow down in the house of Rimmon, may the Lord pardon your servant on this one count. Elisha said to Naaman, go in peace. This too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Last Sunday, Isabella read us another excerpt from this book, Second Kings, in which the prophet Elisha inherits the mantle of Elijah, another prophet. In fact, the biblical books we call First Kings and Second Kings have as much to do with God's prophets as with any king. First and Second Kings, originally a single manuscript, cover 400 years from the glory of Solomon to the catastrophe of exile. Throughout it all, as kings keep misusing their power, God's prophets keep speaking of God's power, reminding people of the covenant God made with them. Therefore, properly worshiping the one true God is really emphasized in these books, which often tell of people condemned for worshiping false gods. Which is why I find today's story so intriguing. That bit at the end, I think that's us. This was written 2,500 years ago, but it could be my story or your story because like Naaman, we all need healing. And we seek it from sources we hope have power. The fact that you're here suggests that you seek it from God's power. When we experience any healing in our life, we want to respond to that power that makes us whole, but you can't actually repay God. And so we face Naaman's dilemma. As I go out and live my healed life, how do I navigate all the powers of the world knowing that true power comes only from God? Or, as Naaman put it to Elisha, when I bow down in the house of women, may the Lord pardon your servant. Given the priorities of First and Second Kings, you'd think that Elisha would just smite Naaman right then and there. But that's not what happens. Let's look at the story again. It's often read simply as a healing story, which I told to the children. Naaman, the mighty general, suffers from leprosy. His wife's servant, an Israelite girl, captured during a military incursion. 
knows of a prophet in Israel, and she declares that this prophet, Elisha, has access to God's healing power. Naaman reports this to his king, who says, good, go, get it done. I'll send along a letter, you know, king to king, just to make sure they treat you right. And so Naaman heads out with the letter, plus about uh, 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and a bunch of designer clothing. (laughs) Naaman delivers the king's letter, which assumes that all power resides with kings. But Israel's king certainly has no power over leprosy and becomes terribly upset. So Elisha summons Naaman to come and see God's prophet. Naaman pulls up at Elisha's door with chariots and horses to rival Pharaoh's finest. And Elisha just sends out a servant with the simple prescription, go bathe in the River Jordan. And so now it's Naaman who's terribly upset, petulantly protesting that his trappings of power must be duly honored by a display of Elisha's trappings of power. This part of the story makes me think of a colleague whom I have to call Greg because due to summer vacations, I couldn't reach him to get his permission to use his real name. Greg pastored a church whose congregational work day, cleaning out classrooms, weeding flower beds, ended up occurring the day after their denomination did something that made the news. So a reporter and a photographer arrive at the church office to get a statement from Greg. The office administrator, always protective of the pastor's time, thank you, Megan, (laughs) said, he's not available right now. Could I have him call you? The reporter, trained to get around any such deflections, said, no, we'll wait. Two people who are working nearby step up and they say, hi, we're um, with the deacons, could we help? And again, the reporter replies, no, we'd like to speak to the pastor. And so the two deacons hurry off to find Greg. They find him, they explain the situation. He says, I'm on my way. And so here comes Greg down the hall, dusting off his hands on his work jeans. Hello, I'm Greg, I'm the pastor here. The reporter takes one look at him and says, yeah, right. Turns on the heel and heads for the door. The photographer elaborates by saying, no way a pastor would speak to the press dressed like that, and also leaves. And Greg makes a gesture to say, it's a congregational work day, and as he does, only then is he reminded of the t-shirt he had chosen to wear that morning, the t-shirt that reads, Presbyterians do it decently and in order. The news team had walked out because they were looking for someone who prioritized the trappings of the world the same way they did. Naaman has that sort of reaction. For me, this prophet should have come out and stood and called on the name of the Lord his God and waved his hand over the leprosy, Jordan River. Aren't the rivers of my nation better than any in Israel? Thank God for Naaman's servants who have no power, but who see Naaman's folly and somehow muster the courage to speak this truth to that power. Um, Sir, 
If the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? And so Naaman went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a young child, and he was clean. And with that healing, the reading usually ends. Or sometimes the story is continued into the next verse, adding, Then Naaman returned to the man of God, he and all his company, humbling himself as he earlier had expected Elisha to do. Naaman came and stood before Elisha and said, Now I know there is no God in all the earth except the God of Israel. And so the healing story is expanded into a conversion story. Now, I would never minimize healing or conversion. I have prayed that God would grant miraculous healing. I have prayed that God would move in people's lives to convert them to godly action. Still, what mesmerizes me is what happens after this pair of wondrous transformations. What fascinates me is when this healing and conversion story becomes a story about maintaining faith while compromising, which is why I think this is our story. We experience some glints of healing, some sparks of conversion, and then in the wake of those bright shining moments, we face the daily reality of living our faith in a world that wants us focused on lesser things, on worldly powers. Here's how it happens for Naaman. First, he tries the favorite move of people who are rich in worldly power, quid pro quo. Elisha, you have healed my body and transformed my soul. I should give you something. Elisha knows there is no repaying God's grace. There is only living a changed life. And so he refuses. And then comes the moment that rivets me. Naaman, thus stymied, unable to use his worldly power, Naaman, mighty warrior favored by kings, Naaman surrenders leans upon God's power and asks for more grace. He says, here's the thing. I want to take home with me, say, two mule loads of Israel's dirt so that I can, when I'm far from here, create my own private patch of Israel where I may worship the one true God. Now, considering what Stickler's prophets could be about worship, this is a dicey request. But then comes what is, in the rubric of Second Kings, the biggest ask of all. May the Lord pardon your servant on one count. When my master goes into the house of Rimmon. And I now know that Rimmon is a false god, a mere idol, no god at all. But when my master, you know, the king, 
goes to worship in the house of Rimmon. He'll be holding onto my arm, so when he bows down, there's no way I cannot bow down. So when I do bow down in the house of Rimmon, may the Lord pardon your servant on this one count. What a predicament. And you can hear Naaman's nervousness. Small wonder. Elijah slew people for worshiping a false god related to Rimmon. You almost want to hide your eyes from what comes next. But Elisha simply says to Naaman, go in peace. I find in that some peace for all of us. Like Naaman, we want to do what is faithful, but our whole world feels like the house of Rimmon. How do we navigate bowing to false gods while knowing the power of the one true God? Naaman comes to Israel in need of healing. He expects a power that aligns with what his world thinks power should be. But then God's power shows up in grace that's simple as going down to the river to pray. We come here in need of healing. We expect the power of our architecture and our music, our pulpit, and our liturgy. And then the Holy Spirit splashes us with plain, ordinary tap water. And Jesus, plain as daylight, ordinary as oxygen, necessary for life, Jesus, feeds our hungry hearts with store-bought bread and juice. Like Naaman with his two loads of dirt, we take communion and the blessings of the tie that binds this community and head back to where the house of Rimmon waits. The false gods of our culture, money, stuff, youth, ease, and all the powers that Naaman took for granted. They're waiting for us to bow down. The society around us expects us to bow down to them. Every day, we, like Naaman, must navigate that compromise in imperfect faith. And somehow, God's grace is so great that God does not smite us. We know there is no repaying of such grace. There is only living a changed life. That's what we are to do. Amid idolatrous powers that want us to think they matter, we can acknowledge God's power to heal and transform. We can live our gratitude for all that God provides, including God's gracious pardon of the compromises we make in the house of Rimmon as we strive, nonetheless, to be faithful. It isn't easy. God knows. So go in peace.
Amen.